You're listening to. You're listening to. You're listening to. You're listening to. The Life Tree Community Church Podcast. So, with that said, welcome. I invite you to turn to Revelation chapter 2 today. Revelation chapter 2. And uh, today is a very special day. Very, very, very special day. Um, today marks 6,000 days on the dot that my wife and I have been married. 6,000 days. Yep, yep. She doesn't look any different. Um, I look a little grayer. Um, just so you know, that's a Photoshop picture. We didn't actually take that. That is us, but the whole background, I made it up because we didn't get good pictures because it was raining on our day. So uh, I Photoshopped that. So that's actually just a fake background. It's like from France somewhere. I don't know. I just put it up there. We actually put it on canvas. It's in our bedroom. It's, it is. Uh, full disclosure. You know, we don't, we don't, yeah. But it's a nice picture. But that is actually us from our wedding day. So we looked a lot younger. It's, uh, it was in October, though. This is not our anniversary. Just so you understand, 6,000 days doesn't mean today's our anniversary. Okay. Um, but 6,000, that's 6,000 incredible days. Isn't that great? We, I count them. I have problems. I count days. Um, did you know there are 327 million people in the U.S. and 55% of those over 18 are married? That's a lot of people. That means 180 million people are married. That means if Mike Bloomberg gave every married couple a million dollars. Nope, I'm not going to finish that. Some of you understand. Some of you have no idea, but it's okay. The average marriage lasts six and a half years, which is uh, it's, it's disturbing. Seventy-five percent of married couples have children. I don't know if you know that. Um, and if you also didn't know, um, I actually just made up all those facts. I just I did. I totally made up those facts. Those are not real facts. We have been married 6,000 days. That's it. The rest of it I totally made up. Absolutely just manufactured those just off the top of my head. Um, even the Mike Bloomberg stuff, I just made that up. Um, I'm not sure if you've heard, but there's a small bug going around. Anybody? Anybody aware? Okay, little little thing happening in our world. Uh, and it's almost impossible to discern fact from fiction. Everybody's throwing out facts, right? Numbers, statistics, just like I just did about marriage. And we have no idea what's what's actually going on. You know, what is it? How bad is it? What should we do? Here's what I know about coronavirus. Ready? Okay, because I went to Bible college. I studied, like, you know, the New Testament. Uh, I know nothing about infectious diseases and communicable diseases. Like, this is, like, I don't know. Apparently, everybody else online knows, but I know nothing. Um, it's really incredible how many people are experts on this stuff. And everybody, man, speaks with passion and conviction. No, we should do this. And I just tell you, somewhere along the way, we're going to find out what it really is. And somebody's going to be like, I told you. Like, yeah, it's just hard to pick you out of the, you know, the mountain of other facts and figures being thrown at us. Anybody, anybody else? Like, you're trying to figure out what's going on? I will say we've got a lot of Purell here. We're trying to help out, right? You don't have to, you know, we're going to suspend. Scripture says greet each other with a holy kiss. We're going to just pause that for a couple of weeks. I know for those, those of you who are guests, we don't really do that. That's just weird. Um, but it is in the Bible. It was a custom that they did back then. We don't do those kind of things here. Um, uh, but I can tell you everybody's on high alert. Like, we're definitely on high alert. If you didn't notice at the bagels, we got tongs now at the bagels. We no longer have a community 
um, cream cheese bin, now you've got individual servings of cream cheese and butter, right? We're trying to do our part. We do have Purell out there. Please don't steal it. It's hard to find more, okay? I told our ushers, I was like, just watch it, because you never know. Like, people might be snagging it. You know, it's apparently they're out at Costco. Um, But, uh, you know, wash your hands. Be mindful about touching your mouth and your face. If you're sick, stay home, Um, right? All those kind of things. I don't know. Um, It's not a plague, but it's a sickness that has the potential to be dangerous, and it can be mitigated with just preventative care, it seems like, and attention. It's amazing, the more we learn about it, how something so small, like a bacteria, like something so small like that, like a virus, can be so easily passed on, and how something so small can do so much harm and create such fear and anxiety and uh, among our whole society, Right? It's something that can be dealt with simply with hygiene, really. I mean, really, like it's a simple hygiene solution. But, you know, people, it's hard to wash hands, right? It's hard. Like, like I know, we, we, there was a video I saw of a guy. He was at, my wife, this is more proof for her of why she doesn't eat at buffets. There was a guy at a buffet thing, you know, and they have like the soups and the canisters. And he had a ladle. And he was like, and he put it back in. And they're like, this is why. We can't, this is why we're passing it on. Like, because it's people. It's, it's a people problem. It's not a virus problem. It's a people problem. Um, and it just proves that little things unaddressed, little things unaddressed have the potential to do great harm. Right? Molehills can become Mountains. Something so small, if not addressed, if not taken care of, if not attended to, can become something so destructive. It sounds like there's a sermon in there somewhere. All right, I think we're going to probably go there, some spiritual analogy. The past few weeks, we've been exploring people whose names were changed. Right? This is a year we feel like God has said he's going to do something new. All right? This passage in Isaiah that he talks about everything he used to do right, for the nation of Israel, said forget all that. It's nothing compared to what I'm about to do, and what he had done was pretty incredible. So there's nothing compared to what I'm about to do. I'm about to do something new. I've already begun it. I'm going to make rivers right, in the dry wasteland. I'm going to create pathways through the wilderness, through those overgrown. So God's going to do something new in the least likely places. Those places we, we, we just say, no, nah, there's no way God could. God's going to do something new in that way. right? He's going to do something new. It may not be what we think, right? but it's going to be for good. And the past few weeks we've been exploring just how God renames people and gives them new names. How you know, Abram to Abraham, right? And God said, I'm going to call you not what you are, but what you will be. You're not the father of many nations, but I'm going to call you that now. I'm going to call you what you will be, right? Jacob turned to Israel, right? Jacob's about, he's a heel grabber, right? He's a, he's a weasel. It's all about what he can do for himself. And God's going to change your name to Israel, which means God prevails. I'm now going to call you what I do for you, not what you do for you. Right, I become your new name. And then Simon to Peter, right? How when we feel unqualified, because we are unqualified, God delights in using the unqualified and says, I know your name is Simon Peter, and you just thought you were just a, a simple little rock, but guess what? I'm going to call you the rock on which I will build my church. Right? God qualifies the unqualified because he's in it. And then last week, Pastor Dre shared a great message about Saul. And his name developing into Paul, how God doesn't limit what he can do through us because of our history, because of what we have. But just remember, nobody touch Pastor Dre because he's from Youngstown. He will kill you. He will kill you. Now, on the basketball court, he might kill you. That's, that's what you need to stay away. 
today now we're going to we're going to kind of turn the spotlight onto another another on another individual but it's but it's you. I'm going to turn the spotlight on you. Oh, everybody got uncomfortable. It's okay. It'll be all right. The disciple who was one of the closest people to Jesus, his name was John, during his years on earth, during Jesus' years on earth, wrote a series of letters to various churches um, when the church was just beginning to form. So John wrote a series of letters to a bunch of churches as they were just beginning to form, and uh, that, that's contained in, in the book of Revelation. Right? We find that it, Revelation is sort of a record of the sort of in time that John had where God spoke through him to people, and John sort of wrote it all down. That's really what you have here. It's, it's the revelation of John. That God gave to him. And Revelation contains seven letters to seven different churches. And today we're going to look at one of them. It's the letter to the church in Pergamum. So we're not going in order. We're not going to do the rest of them. That's another series for another day, which I would enjoy doing. We're not going to get into that right now. Um, but we're going to look at this one, the church in Pergamum. Pergamum was a Greek city in what is modern-day Turkey. So it was called Hellenized, which means that Greek influence there in this city. was It was influenced by 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 that um, by their culture, it was a wealthy city. It had a fortress up on a on a hill. It was awesome. You can, I mean, there's still like like present day, there are still ruins from there that you can see awesome uh, pillars and, and an incredible amphitheater, like a natural amphitheater. It seats like ten thousand people. It's built into a hill. It's like incredibly steep, and uh, so just all sorts of cool things that you can find from from Pergamum. Um, they were renowned for their arts, for their education. They had a legendary library. For all of you book nerds, uh, just some really, I think Mark Anthony gave some of it to Cleopatra. It was just like this really just incredible place with philosophers and various religious teachers. Um, I mean, you can just see this place was the center for culture, for thinking, for the arts. And for the early followers of Jesus, they were very vulnerable because they're just sort of orienting to what is this new thing coming out of Judaism, right, or coming out of what they know. Now they're kind of orienting to a new world and trying to figure out what is what does it mean to follow Jesus? And in this, they're, they're, they're still new in this, so trying to learn, trying to orient, you know, and somebody's throwing facts at them. Or maybe facts, because I don't know. Because it's hard to discern, is this true, is this not true? Right? And they were vulnerable to these influences, and were allowing these ideas to cre- creep into their ideas about God. It's called, it's called syncretism. Anybody familiar with that word, syncretistic? Uh, viewpoint, right? and syncretism is basically a blending of religious ideas. It's like I'll take a little bit from here and a little bit from here and a little bit from here, and, and I'll just sort of create my own faith based on all these different ideas. And that's what the church was doing in this city because they're surrounded by all these ideas. They're like, oh, that kind of sounds good, and that sounds good, and this sounds good, and they were putting together sort of this collection, this collection of ideas, and and like a virus, these ideologies were were infiltrating the church. They were coming in. In particular, what John was addressing was most likely one of these practices that was very prevalent in that town. And we'll read about why I think this. Um, but there was a practice regarding amulets. Anybody know what amulets are? Right? These little stones, right? Stones with like a little, ins- like a writing on it. Right? And what they would do is um, at that time, they would carry these stones. Typically, the, the names written on it were the name of a deity or a god of some sort. And they would carry it with them to bring the holder, you know, good or protection or provision or healing, prosperity, blessing. They would hold the stone and, and whenever they needed, they just, you know, take it out, rub it, whatever, and be like, all right, you know, hey, God of this stone, would you help me? It was sort of like a, like a rabbit's foot, right? Put it in your pocket. So they would carry these stones with them with names written on them. 
calling on that God to act. And many in the city would carry them. They were sold in the marketplaces. They were sold at the temples. They were sold everywhere. So everybody knew about them, right? Very popular, very common in that day. So they would have been aware of this. Now, does that jive with, like, what we know about what God says, right? God says, I mean, go back to Old Testament, right? Ten Commandments, thou shalt have no other gods. Rule number one, hey, I'm, I'm good enough. I got one other. So this very clearly violates that, but they were allowing it. They were like, oh, that sounds pretty cool. Hey, can't hurt. Let's be covered, right? Like, I mean, I got plan A, but if I need a plan B, you know, I have like six amulets, right? I got, I got my God of the sun, my God of this, you know, like, like you, you could just say they just began to put these all together. And God speaks through John to the church here. And he says this, we're going to pick it up in chapter 2, verse 13. We're not going to read the whole portion, but just this verse. He says, I know that you live in the city where Satan has his throne, yet you have remained loyal to me. Like, first of all, who wants to live there? <laughs> Would you like to live where Satan has his throne? Where do you live? I live in the city where Satan has his throne. Yeah, it's a, it's a nice little place up on the hill. Um, the church was constantly feeling the pressure to filter all these competing voices. I mean, so much so that Satan, it says, has a throne there himself. He ruled there. Everyone served him. It sounds like a terrible place, except for the fact that, what do we know about Satan? What do we know about the enemy? Listen, that doesn't mean that place was a violent, awful, you know, despicable place. You know what that place was? That place was appealing. It was indulgent. It appealed to senses, to pleasures. Right? Because Satan doesn't always come to us like absolutely awful because he knows that we'd see that so clearly and be like, who wants that? No, we'd run away from that. So instead, he's shrewd. He comes in the form of things that we want. Right? So, that's, so that's when he ruled, that was a deceptive city. It looks so good on the surface. And underneath, when it's too late, that's when you find out who's really in charge. So that's the kind of place that they were living in. It's, it's like the coronavirus, right? You don't even know you're carrying it. You can infect others unknowingly. That's going to be all throughout the message today. I'm going to have it all over the place. right? Because that's how the enemy works. That's how the enemy works. He's, you don't even know you're a carrier. You're just going out there doing your thing. You have no idea that, you're, that you've got all these other ideas in your heart. And John's letter is a wake-up call to the church. You're surrounded by lies, he's saying. Don't buy it. He corrects those who have allowed these false things to corrupt the truth and encourages them. Listen, repent. Repent. Restore the purity of the truth. Essentially, you've let a virus in, and it's not cool. It's not progressive. It's not intellectual. It's foolish, and you need to wash your hands of it. Get it out. It's a disease. There's only one truth, and everything else is a lie. has no business being in your life. That's what he's saying about these thoughts and these ideologies. He's saying that. And like all good preaching, John presents the outcome. Here's what's going to happen if you're going to do this. And here's, here's where I want to land today, because what he says as an outcome, says, if you will guard your heart and keep this thing from corrupting you, here's what's going to happen. And it's a wake-up call to them, and I think it's a wake-up call to us. Because we still live in a world where Satan has a throne. We still live in a place where things appeal to our senses that have no business being in our lives, that we can justify, we can say, ah, it's something small, it's no big deal, it's just a little thing, it's just a rock in my pocket, what's the big deal? It's just a little thought, a little perspective from the world, it's okay, it's a plan B, it's a backup, doesn't seem to hurt, what's the problem? Here we're going to talk about 
what that kind of thinking might cost us. So Revelation 2, verse 17. Let's skip down. And here's the outcome. Here's what happens if you stay pure. If you can do that. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what He is saying to the churches, to us. To everyone who is victorious, I will give some of the manna that has been hidden away in heaven. And He continues, And I will give to each one a white stone. And on the stone will be engraved a new name that no one understands except the one who receives it. Let's just pray for a moment. Heavenly Father, help this to make sense because it's kind of written in code and I don't know that we understand. Give us your mind this morning. Help us to hear what we need to hear. In your name we pray. Amen. A few things to explain because this can be, this is the part of the Bible that really needs the most decoding. Right? Revelation can really be like, okay, what? doesn't make sense. So to summarize, he says, don't buy into what's not true. There's a war going on for your mind. If you can win that war, there's a reward. And here's the reward. One, you get manna. If you remember, manna is what God provided uh, in the, the desert when the Israelites were wandering, right? Leaving, escaping Egypt. They needed food. God provided manna. Manna literally translates, what is it? <laughs> I don't know what this is. It's sort of a flaky substance. They would grind it and turn it into flour, make breads and things. They said it tasted like honey wafer, which I don't know what it is, but I'm, I'm good to try. Like, I would like to try some manna. So, but manna was this daily, but it was only good for the day, right? God would provide manna day by day by day. You couldn't save it the next day. It would get gross and nasty. It would, it would just spoil. So you could only have enough for that day. And whether you gained a little, gathered a little or a lot, it was enough, right? It was magic food, essentially. And it was magic food that God provided day after day after day for 40 years. Can you imagine if you got paid only enough for today? And you never had enough for tomorrow. And you had to live dependent on somebody for 40 years. It's essentially what it is. It was a trust relationship with God. I have to trust God that tomorrow when I wake up, there's going to be food in the ground because I got none in the cupboard. Manna represents the miraculous, faithful provision of God. And God says to the victorious, you're going to get manna. If you win, you're going to get food for eternity. My magic food, you're good. So that's what you're going to get. Second, I really want to focus on the second part. You're going to get a white stone engraved with a new name. How many of you are hoping that when you get to heaven, God gives you a rock? Like, did you ever think that's part of it? Like, I cannot wait to get to heaven. I'm going to get a rock. Sounds like Charlie Brown, right? I got a rock. Like, yeah, I got this. I got this. I got a rock. Right. Hey, guess what? When you get to heaven, we get rocks. It's going to be awesome. When I first read it, I wasn't all that excited either. But let me explain for a moment again, kind of go behind the scenes here. This white isn't just a plain white. Let's just talk colors. I'm a painter. I've worked for, you know, paint. like it's not just a, a plain boring white. It's not a vanilla white. It's not, you know, a, it's not an off white. It's not a, you know, a neutral white. It's not anything like that. This white literally translates to dazzlingly bright like the garments of the angels. Okay, it's white represented purity. Right? This is this is I mean a, a transcendent white. Okay, think of like the purest stone that you can imagine. So maybe take like an opal and a pearl and maybe some you know Italian marble and a diamond and and mix it all up. Right? Well, that sounds like a little better. Like you'd wear that on your finger. You know, I'd put that on a necklace. Right? I'd be like, all right, I could I could line my watch with some of that, you know. I'm like, that's okay. That sounds pretty good. So what I'm saying is it's a really nice rock. Like you get a really nice rock, but that's not really the point. Um, in that culture, at that time in history, stones had various meanings. 
various meanings. In Rome, wealthy households had dependents who would receive food and, and money for the day. And they would carry stones right, as sort of an ID card. That stone would be engraved and it would, it would signify that they would get their daily allotments Right. So for their so for all of you who give your kids like allowances, right, like they'd have to show you their rock first and then they get allowance for the day. Right. It's the same thing. It was sort of an ID card. Right. So the stones were proof that they were worthy of getting provision every day. To win a victory in a contest was a high honor. You know, they have gladiators and sporting competitions and things like that. And to the victor, they would get a stone. And that stone would both symbolize, hey, I won. It's like, like, you know, the championship trophy. Well, I got a rock proving that I won. Oh, you got a rock, dude. He's got, he got three rocks. He won three times. You know, he's got trophies. Okay, so the stone represents you won. But not only did it represent that you won, that would give you access to every future public event. It would gain you access because you, all you had to do was like carry my trophy. Hey, can I get in? I don't know if you can get in. Your name's not on the list. I got a rock. Oh, by, by all means, come in, sir. Right? Because you've got the rock. Right? The rock gives you access to place. So it proves who you are. It gives you access into certain places. Right? It was like a member card, good for life, like a ticket. Right? But this wasn't just any rock. Right? This was a white stone. Right? And in the ancient courts of justice... When deciding a case, the jury would cast stones to give their judgments. Right? The jury would say, you know, they, they would actually cast stones. It was like a vote. Paul, we talked about it last week. Saul turned to Paul, right? When it says he cast his vote against Christians. Remember, he'd stand there when Stephen came and he says they, they, they killed Stephen. Saul says, I cast my vote. means he actually put a rock in. Literally, same exact word is being used here in Revelation. Same phrasing. He says, I cast my vote. Rocks represented votes. But here's the thing. The accused were condemned by a black rock. But they were acquitted by a white rock. Let that sink in. A white rock symbolizes you're free. You're innocent. You're good to go. A black rock, oh, you're in trouble. But a white rock would be freedom. Now, I could stop and preach here for a while, right? You understand the significance of this, right? You're going to get, just pause for a minute. When you get to heaven, someday, it says you're going to get handed to the victorious. You get handed a stone, but not just a stone that gives you access. Not just a stone that says you're victorious, but you get a white stone. A white stone that says you're innocent, you're forgiven. Right? I mean, do you, are, you, are you picking up what I'm putting down here? Right? Are you understanding it a little bit more? But it's not just that. Because that white stone would have a new name on it. That stone would have a new name. Now, most building materials in Pergamum in that time were dark granite. Right? But they would have a white stone at the base or at the cornerstone with an engraving on it because that's how they would identify the building. So everything else. So they would be used to the idea of a name written on a white stone identifying something as who it belonged to. There's two types of words for, for the word new. We have one. Everything is new. 
right? Every, we have one word, new is everything. It could be a new car. It could be uh, I got a new pizza, right? It could be a, a new child, right? Everything is new, right? I have a new idea. Everything is one word. They had two different types of words. One, neos, right? New at a point in time, but it wasn't necessarily. So it could be a new car, a new shirt, all those kind of things, a new basketball, right? A new just, this is new, this is new, right? But it's something that has existed before. Then there is kainos, which means new in time and in quality, right? It's never been before. This is new, something that has never even existed before. It's never, there's never been one like it. It's altogether new, right? So there's the new kind of that, or this is a completely new thing altogether. When it says new name, it's not just a new name like, hey, you, you were Jay, now you're going to be Bob, right? No, it's not going to be that. It's going to be a name that nobody has ever heard, that nobody has ever had, that nobody has ever even thought of before. It's a brand new name, new in time, new in existence. So let's go back to the beginning now and connect all the dots. I'm I'm kind of all over the place. Hopefully it'll make sense. God is speaking to the new followers of Jesus, warning them about adopting the religious customs of the city around them, which he said are like a virus. He says, hey, listen. All these ideas around you, and they're going to come in, and they're going to try and they're going to sound good. You're going to want to say, ah, what difference does it make? I could just put that in my pocket and just hold on to that a little bit. He says, listen now, stick with me, stick with me. I'm, I'm, I got you. If you're going to do this, if you do this, you're going to get a stone with your name on it. Actually, no, you're going to get a stone with a name on it because it doesn't say it's your name. If you look at the text, it just says a stone with a new name. It doesn't say it's going to be your name. And that's the thing, like, as we're going through the series, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's a stone with, with, I get a new name. Yes and no. It's just not going to be my name on that stone. It's not going to be a new version of Dan on that stone because, remember, on those amulets, what do they have? It was the name of their God. The stone's not going to have my name on it. It's going to have his name on it. It's going to have the name above all names. It's my stone with his name on it. Do you understand? It's, it's something altogether different. And on that rock will be the name above all names, the name that even earth can't hear. Pastor Kerry just sat here and listed all those names of God, but there is still a name for God that we can't even process, understand. It's the name above all names. And when we get there, guess what? There's going to be a rock, our rock, with his name on it, and that rock gives us access. That rock's going to say forgiven. That rock's going to say you get the blessings. You get provision. You are a victorious Winner, you win it all because you stand with the one who already has one because his name is on it. Are you understanding what we get? You don't just get a rock. You get a white stone with a new name on it. My name doesn't get me access anywhere. I could put my, you go to the schools. You got to get in the schools. You got to put your thumbprint on. Guess what? I can sit there all day. Don't get me in. I'm not on their payroll. I don't get in the schools. I don't belong in there. I could say, my name is Dan. They'd say, that's nice. Doesn't get me in anywhere. Doesn't have any weight in a court of law. Can't walk into a court of law to a judge and be like, hey, it's okay. I said it's okay. They're going to be like, yeah, that's, thank you, bailiff. Right? Like, that's what they're going to, right? It doesn't hold any weight in a court of law here. It's especially not going to hold any weight in the court 
of eternity. I'm not going to get to heaven and be like, hey, is, come on, God, you know me. I was pastor. I did all this stuff. I did good stuff, right? I'm so grateful that the name that's going to be on my rock isn't going to be my name. And when, when that name is seen, guess what? The door's going to open. You're welcomed in. Because you're forgiven. You are not guilty. You are innocent because you've got a light rock. You've got a white stone that says you are innocent. I want to say today, we spend a whole lot of time making a name for ourselves. The only name that matters. The only name that matters is God's. His is the only name worthy of our hope. We may have other things in our pocket, but the only name that's worthy is His name. Everything else is Corona. what it is every other name looks good can't be so bad it's just something small just a cold just the sniffles guess what you don't do business with that oh it's going to infect everything it could be fatal do not play around see the name on your white rock is going to declare you forgiven because he ruled and he says you're innocent because he paid your debt And he served your sentence. It's going to declare you worthy because you're part of the family because he calls you his own. It will declare you victorious. It will mark you as a victor because he was victorious. Oh, there was a battle going on. We're we're going to talk about this today in our small group. It's awesome. If you're not in a branches group, you should get in one. They're great. Sign up today. Connection card. Really, go ahead. All right. Like a trophy. It's going to mark us victorious because he's victorious. So what? So what? So I have rocks for everybody. I don't. I actually didn't. I was thinking about giving you all a bunch of white rocks. I'm like, it's going to be like stones from, you know, I don't know, one of the garden centers. I'll go buy a bunch of white Like, what is it we're going to do? Hey, I got a rock at church today. It's a white rock. It'd be a good reminder. If you want to find a white rock, I'm sure you can. But it's not going to be, listen, it's not going to be that white rock. It's not going to be that white rock. I'd rather wait for the real, real deal. So here's, here's the so what. The stones only go to the victorious. We have to win to get a rock. So how do we win? Like, how do I get a rock? Walked in here like, I don't really need a rock. Now you're like, I want a rock. How do I get a rock? It's very simple. Wash your hands. Spiritually speaking, refuse to allow any trace of compromise to contaminate your heart. How do you stay pure in an impure world? You wash often. You can't. Every day we go through stuff and stuff contaminates our heart. And what we do is then we get on our knees and we say, Jesus, can you wash me again today? I'm dirty. I'm dirty. I need, I've got sickness all over me, God, and I just need some... Holy Spirit Purell, right now. I'm telling you, this, this may or may not be a scam by Purell just to take over the world. I think it's possible. Refuse to allow any trace of compromise to exist in you. If you know something within you is wrong, don't justify it. If there's something in your heart and you go, this, mm, mm, I probably shouldn't do that, but it's no big deal. 
The second you justify it, you're allowed to take root. You're allowed to take root. Let me just consider the diligence we are taking to deal with this physical virus. How much more should we guard our heart? If we're more diligent about our hands than our heart, something's wrong. We're so concerned. I mean, how many of you, how many times have you washed your hands today? How many of you have Purell on you right now? You've put it on the last couple of Like, we are diligent. You are wiping down houses. You're making strategies. We are spending so much energy. And I'm not saying we don't. But if we care more about what happens to our hands than we do about what happens in our hearts, we have our priorities in the wrong place. There's so much more at stake. And so often, holiness is perceived as an unrealistic ideal. That no one could possibly live a life that always does what's right. And so we make no effort to even pursue it. We are absolutely content to live with all this stuff in our heart. Let me tell you, you want to read through what God says to those churches in Revelation, those seven churches, you're going to begin to hear stuff. He says, Don't, you cannot be hot or cold. Right? You've got to be one or the other. You cannot be in the middle. You cannot be in the middle. Pick a side. Choose today. No effort is made to even pursue holiness. This is gross, but that's equivalent to licking the handrails in a mall. <laughs> Allowing stuff to say. There's a video of a girl doing this. Isn't it? It's like, uh, goodness, you know. It's like Buddy the Elf picking the gum off the other side of New York City. You know, it's not free candy, right? Like this. When we don't guard what's in our hearts, when we, when we allow the ideologies of our world, the appeal of our world, when Satan has his throne here. When we allow him to get his roots in our heart, we are recklessly disregarding what goes on inside us, and it denies the promise that God made to us that he's enough. That he's enough. No, I know, God, you're enough, but I could use a little help from other sources. God calls us what we will be, not what we are. And that will only be a reality if we refuse to allow compromise to sneak into our heart. We can be known for what God accomplishes in us and through us if we're going to stand guard against our heart. We can be the most unqualified people and God can still use us because we trust in his word. All of these depend on this one thing. God can take the worst of us and redeem us far beyond our imagination. God is waiting with a white stone and a new name on it. And the only thing we need to do is commit to the truth. Purity, God. Purity of heart. When we hear things that sound good, that sound appealing, that are attractive to our flesh, but they contradict what the Word of God says to us, we must refuse to accept it. It's a call to holiness. It's a call to holiness. So focus on purity of our outside. But we need purity on the inside even more. I'm going to call up the band. We're going to close. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what He is saying. Stay tuned in to the voice of God and guard against compromise. There's a white stone with a new name waiting for you. And can I tell you, it's worth whatever it's going to cost you to sacrifice to claim it. Whatever you've got to let go of to claim what God wants to give you, it's going to be worth it. There's nothing more valuable in all the world than a white stone with a new name on it. There could be nothing more valuable because 
what that's going to do is that's going to get us access to eternity, to paradise. I mean, come on. What are you chasing that's worth more than that? We're, we're not, we don't stay here. It may not be Corona, but we're, gonna, we're all going to end up, you know, we've got a time limit on this earth. The best is yet to come. This is just a, this is just a, this is just a teaser. Heaven's forever. It's going to be awesome. But it only goes to the victorious, to those who recognize the purity, the truth. Jesus says to his disciples, if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. And what do you benefit? What do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? One of my favorite quotes based on that verse, Jim Elliott. He's a missionary. He paid the ultimate price on this earth. He lived this out, but he said this, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Everything for the white rock. Everything for that. So I want to encourage you. I'm just challenge you today. As you close your eyes, I just want to challenge you. Is there anything that you've allowed to capture your heart? To reside in your heart that you know isn't worthy? Perhaps is there a stone with another name on it in your hand? Maybe it reads safety. Or success. Or happiness. Or ease. Acceptance. Approval. More. Is there another stone in there that you just, well, I mean, it's not what God will want, but it's not bad. Anything that's not of God has no business being inside of us. Today's a new day. God desires to do something new in us. This morning, maybe it starts with some disinfecting. God, would you do some work in our hearts? So I'm just going to give you a few minutes here just to reflect. Let God speak. Ask the band just to play, not sing, just play behind us. Right where you are. Just allow God to put his finger on parts of your life that don't belong. To point out perhaps some outside influences that we've allowed to creep in. And we wouldn't even realize it. But we know it now. So God, search us. As David said, search us and know us. Point out anything in us that's unworthy. Or would you, would your refining fire just be ignited in our heart and burn away anything that doesn't belong? Now, we don't want to be healthy on the outside, but sick on the inside. Now, would you do your work inside? We can wash our hands, but we cannot wash our hearts on our own. We need you. So, Holy Spirit, right now, I ask for you just conviction to come. Lord, and not conviction that makes us feel condemned, not conviction that makes us feel lousy and awful and terrible and and just bad about ourselves, but your conviction leads to repentance. Your conviction leads us to you. When we come to you in repentant hearts, your word promises that we can boldly approach the throne of our loving God because there we'll find grace and mercy when we need it most.
Ghost. So Lord, we just come to you today, presenting our hearts to you today. Lord, we come with repentant hearts and repentant postures. Lord, would you do your work inside us?